Hey guys, and welcome to The Grow Podcast. We're so happy that you're here. I'm Ashley, your host for the monthly grain segment of the podcast brought to you by the Landis Grow Solution Center. On today's episode, I have Grant Kimberly joining me. Grant is the Senior Director of Market Development at the Iowa Soybean Association. I'm really excited to have Grant join us today to talk about a question that I am getting multiple times each and every day, which is, what is going on with soybeans? So Grant, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ashley. Happy to be here. All right, so go ahead and tell us about yourself and what you do for the Iowa Soybean Association. Okay, yes, my name is Grant Kimberly. Uh, as you said, Senior Director of Market Development at Iowa Soybean Association. I've been here about, uh, been there about 20 or so years. Uh, time sure does fly by. Um, I've had different roles at the association over the years, but have been working primarily in the, in the second half of my career there as a um, Director of Market Development, which really means uh, I oversee all of our programs that have to do with demand for soy, um, whether it's through international marketing exports, biofuels, livestock initiatives, bio-based value-added kind of products and initiatives, um, you know, any, anything along those lines. And, and so it's been a great experience. Uh, I've learned a lot over the years, met a lot of great people, and, and uh, it's just an exciting industry to be in. And, and for me, too, I, I grew up on a farm, still actively in, in farming with my family and my father. Um, and uh, I did work for uh, Monsanto for a couple years right out of college first, so in the seed industry. Uh, so I've had it, uh, I've seen it on, on different sides of the industry uh, but uh, certainly been a, a, a fun ride and, and interesting uh, experience to work in the soy sector. A hundred percent. Well, I hope that our listeners are just as excited as I am because with your you know role at Iowa Soybean, I think that you're going to be a really great help to help us dive into some of the things that are happening in the soybean world that will hopefully give us some factors on what's going on in the markets. Um, but first of all, if you could just give us a quick rundown on you know what does the Iowa Soybean Association do? I know we could spend a whole podcast episode on that, but maybe you know a couple things that um, are really important to producers, especially. Yes, yeah, so the Iowa Soybean Association uh, was created by farmers, formed in 1964. That's the beginnings of the association, one of the first state soybean associations in the country. Cool. Um, and uh, we work in both the policy side of the arena, as the, and that's where our membership, those farmers who choose to be a voluntary member of the Iowa Soybean Association, your dues that come into the organization, that goes towards representing farmers' interests politically, both here in Des Moines at the state capital level and then also in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. at the national level, working with our American Soybean Association, who is the national uh, organization for uh, the policy side of, of the soybean industry. And then we also uh, uh, are a dual hat organization um, where we uh, are the we call qualified state soybean boards. So we're the designated representative that collects the, the national soybean checkoff uh, that comes in uh, every every state. It's the same. It's one half of one percent of net market value. That was passed uh, in 1991 by Congress uh, on the behest of farmers at that time who wanted to have a uniform, consistent program across the entire country. Um, in a way, it's similar to what the pork program is a national program as well. Um, and so, to bring in these these small contribution from every farmer to do something that they couldn't do by themselves. And that's, mm-hmm. that's to work in areas of marketing, promotion, um, research, 
education, information, uh, those kinds of areas. So collectively, you can you have resources now that you can invest on behalf of the entire industry to hopefully grow the market, uh, grow better beans, uh, increase yield, work with disease resistance, all those kinds of things, and then develop markets and then ed- help educate both consumers and also our producer members about what the opportunities are and do something collectively that we c- individually we couldn't do by ourselves as farmers yeah. but together we can we can uh, you know make a big impact uh, and that's kind of what this soybean association does we're represented by a board of 22 farmer board members that are elected from their peers from across the state of Iowa mm-hmm. um, we have uh, uh, two per crop district there's nine crop districts in Iowa and then we also have some at-large board members uh, wherever they could be from other mm-hmm. more than one the same district so it just depends and they serve three three-year terms uh, and they are the ones that come uh, to uh, you know putting together the st- strategic direction and priorities for uh, the association how we will invest some of those dollars and then how we will work uh, on the policy side as well so two separate avenues for the organization, but we have one staff and one board that oversees both those uh, those things. But really, it's, it's we are a combined, unified organization. So the left hand and the right hand uh, can, can work together when it makes sense and be coordinated. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I think it gives, you know, not only our producers listening, but also me, right, before I have a conversation with you um, on just exactly what Iowa Soybean does as a whole. So, And just one other thing to clarify that Checkoff dollars cannot be used for lobbying and policy efforts. So that's where uh, it's very important to have uh, voluntary dues-paying members as well at the Iowa Soybean Association, and 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 you know, uh, good corporate partnerships and other things. All those those will be unrestricted dues that uh, revenue that can then go into the policy efforts to mm-hmm. advocate for things like uh, a biodiesel tax credit and uh, more trade and, and export promotion. Uh, Overseas, So those kinds of things where you're working with your state and national policy leaders, that's why that's important. And the checkoff works on the, the long-term research, the market development, and all those kinds of things. So it's important that those two, in a way, they're separate, but yet they, they, work together. they do work together. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'd love to just start by diving into something that feels like has really exploded right over the last couple of years. Um, I want to talk about all the news of all these soybean crush plants coming online. Um, You know, not only we've seen a handful come across this year, um, but there's announcements of plants coming in the next year, two years, even three years down the road. Um, So with all of these crush plants coming, um, we'll also see a likely increased number of soybean meal, right? Um, so how do you think soybean meal versus soy, soybeans um, will play into exports? And then I want to get your thoughts too on like all these crush plants. So kind of two questions to throw at you. Yeah, so it's a very big uh, topic right now. You're right. And it's probably one of the biggest changes I think we're seeing in the soybean industry since the explosion of the Chinese market, mm-hmm. maybe a little over a decade ago. So this is the next major transition uh, change that's that's happening in the soy market, and it's being d- driven primarily by the growth of of uh, biofuels uh, around the world, but especially here in the U.S., especially in California and the West Coast, where they have what they call low carbon fuel standard policies, where they're trying to reduce carbon emissions. Uh, decarbonize the energy and transportation sector. And so, you know, we hear terms like electrification, but that's mm-hmm. just one piece of the puzzle. And it's really not on a large, large scale commercially available and viable to, to, to 
fill that demand yet. So biofuels really is the only way to, to get there. And so uh, whether that's ethanol and biodiesel, which we've had for a while now, and those are playing a strong role in this, but also the growth of something new called renewable diesel. Mm. And so uh, you're seeing renewable diesel, which is a different process, but basically it's similar to the oil refining process, but you're taking a vegetable oil or animal fat and you're putting it through the, the oil hydrotreating process. And you're coming out with a diesel-like product made from a renewable uh, source renewable diesel um, and it blends very well and gr and it's a great blend together with biodiesel uh, and so the two of them together are actually great because biodiesel adds lubricity to fuel it reduces your, your particulate matter emissions and and renewable diesel maybe is a little bit easier for a drop-in fuel at a higher blend level um, and uh, also of course it reduces carbon emissions so that's mm -hmm. driving a lot of this and so we need more oil, vegetable oil, we need more animal fat, and soy is the, one of the ways we can do that the easiest and the quickest. So uh, the industry is responding by building more crush facilities, and you're seeing new players enter the market, and you're seeing the existing uh, industry expand or build new facilities as well. So mm -hmm. in total, we're talking about 16 new uh, uh, crush plants being built over the next uh Oh, three to four years, probably. Uh, well, and actually out of that 16, uh, probably uh, four or five of those are expansions of existing facilities. And then the rest of those, um, you know, that uh, that other 11 or 12 are going to be new facilities. And we might. It's really even, incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. We might get a few more new announcements, too. Yeah, it seems sure. like <laughs> we get a couple every year. So we'll see where we end up at. But I mean, this will be a 28 percent increase to our soy crush capacity monstrous increase we've never seen a big jump of our crush capacity like that uh, in a long long time mm -hmm. okay so kind of going back to that question um obviously when we you know talking about crush plants and then we always have that byproduct right which is soybean meal mm -hmm. so i'd love to know your thoughts kind of how do you think that soybean meal versus soybeans will play into exports um you know you and i were talking earlier before we started recording but what in the world happens with all the soybean meal, I think is a big question that, um, you know, everybody wants to know the answer to. Yeah, we forget that uh, soybeans are primarily meal. Mm -hmm. You know, oil is only 18 <laughs> to 20 percent roughly of, 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 of the soybeans. So while the soybean oil value share has gone up, that's changed the crush margin equation now where, yeah. where soybean oil now makes up the 40 to 50 percent of the crush margin. Um in the past, it was maybe more like a third, so it's changed it a lot. But uh, but since we're crushing more to make more oil, we are going to, as you say, produce more meal in the market. And by having, and since it is going to be a lot more meal because there's more meal just that would be produced through that process, you know, we think just thinking through economics 101, as you produce more of something, it'll over time lower the price mm -hmm. more than it otherwise would have been. So meal prices actually should all else being equal and being relative will come down in price. So that's going to be a great thing for our livestock producers, yeah. livestock industry. We'll have more meal in the market marketplace at a relatively lower price than it would have otherwise been. Now, low is always a yeah. different kind of term. <laughs> you know, we're in an inflationary environment, so it may not be as low as it was 20 years ago, but it's lower. It will be lower than it would have otherwise be, have been without mm -hmm. this increase in crush. So what are we going to do with the meal? We're going to uh, feed more of it here domestically. Uh, I think it'll be, uh, we'll see maybe increase in the ration a little bit. And, you know, we'll see hopefully expansion of existing livestock and more livestock down the road. Mm -hmm. um, and then we will have to export more. 
uh, so we'll be exporting more soybean meal. Some export experts uh, project that we're going to export, um, you know, we've been exporting 13 million metric tons of meal a year. So now we may have to increase that by another eight to 10, maybe. Which million is million nearly, metric I mean, that's tons. nearly doubling. That's, that's huge, huge. Yeah. So we have to compete then with Argentina and Brazil and mm-hmm. other regions of the world um, on the meal side of things. So that'll be a challenge. But with oil carrying a higher share of the crush market value, that takes a little of the pressure off of the price of the meal side. So it should price itself competitively into the marketplace. So that's what we think. But there'll be value-added bio-based products that could be developed too. Yeah. Um, and, and But livestock's going to be the major driver, both domestically and inter, 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 internationally. Okay. Well, and, you know, kind of going with my next question here, sticking with soybean meal, um, you know, what new developments or new demand demand avenues do you see for, you know, increased soybean meal specifically? You know, I know we were talking a little bit about North Carolina before we started, so I'd love, um, you know, for you to touch on that, just different ways to use soybean meal. Yeah, so so that's something we do at the Iowa Soybean Association with our other state partners mm-hmm. in the United Soybean Board, which is the National Soybean Checkoff Organization. We'll, we've been funding research in bio-based products for years, uh, and there's been a lot of great successes. Uh, yeah. Things like um, soy-based carpet backing, the, the padding or spray foam insulation, uh, the, the seat cushions and forward vehicles, yeah. um, those kinds of things uh, have been developed by research through this, through this soybean checkout. On the meal side, uh, a promising area is is uh, wood-based adhesives made from soybean meal. And so, yes, we talked about in North Carolina, they're going to be doing a project at the Biltmore, the, the historic mansion there as they're doing renovations and things. They're going to use some bio-based, soy-based products there in North Carolina, um, uh, including this wood adhesive uh, material. So um, things like that can can also grow the demand for, for soy as well. By and large, though, it's still going to be livestock that drives it because that's still the biggest user. It could be some more human consumption, direct to human uh, utilization, but also, uh, uh, you know, bio-based industrial products, things that would have a green reduced carbon footprint, which is also important in yeah. the building space. So it's going to be a mixture of all the above uh, that I think will occur to, to drive more demand for meal. Awesome. I mean, I think it's good that we touch on this, right? Whether it's corn or soybean or, you know, whether it's cattle or pigs, there's always so many more byproducts that come from these, um, you know, commodities or, or livestock products that I think oftentimes just the regular farmer forgets about because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, you know, delivering his semi-load of corn or soybeans or raising his, um, you know, livestock majority for, for, you know, meat production. So I'm glad that we were able to touch on that here. Yeah. And, and one other thing I should say too, so we, so about 33% of the meal ration is poultry uh, for soy um, and so we, that's an area, that's a, a relatively inexpensive protein source. Mm-hmm. And I think poultry is going to continue to grow. Pork, of course, will grow as well. Yeah. Um, and we'll see, we'll see that grow cattle opportunities and dairy as well. But then aquaculture, globally, aquaculture, um, uh, seafood con- consumption does continue to go up. And from a wild catch standpoint, that demand or that availability will probably continue to go down a little bit. And fish meal has been the feed source for the fish growing aquaculture industry. That's a very expensive source as well. Um, and so we can see more soybean meal being repla- replacing fish meal in the, in the fish ration. And, 
and I think especially overseas, maybe even more so than domestically here, I think we'll continue to see more aquaculture uh, growth, which will utilize more soybean meal. Very cool. I think that's so cool, that little niche market. And just to hear about different companies, you know, we gave you just a small tour of our office here in Des Moines. And, um, you know, we walked through, we have a partnership with the company. And um, I don't know, I just think it's so cool to think about, you know, aquaculture being grown in Iowa. Um, So for them to potentially use something like soybean meal, it's kind of this whole um, like regenerative circle process, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Which is, is very interesting. It is, yes. Okay, well, obviously in my role, I work with farmers each day, um, really working to originate or buy their grain and help, um, you know, farmers marketing and help with their marketing strategies. Um, so it seems like farmers lately sure have been running this heavy split, I mean, even on our own farm, of corn versus soybeans. Um, I feel like we've seen a little bit of a shift here, right, with prices of soybeans rallying um, and corn fertilizer inputs, um, you know, obviously spiking here. But it still feels like, you know, that margin of corn versus soybean um, acres, it still feels favorable towards corn. So I'd love to know, you know, your thoughts here um, with all of the things that we've talked about, especially the new demand um, in the new crush plants. How do we continue to keep up on soybean production um, and continue encouraging the farmer to, you know, keep up the ratio of corn and soybeans, keep those acres coming? Well, it comes down to, I think, a lot of what we focus on at the Soybean Association, and it's a balance of uh, a balanced portfolio of investments of continuing to to develop new uh, and better varieties of soybeans, and, mm-hmm. the, and the private seed industry has done a great job on that. And then we also work at the university level to maybe work on certain problem areas, uh, whether it's re- disease resistance, pest resistance, some other things that maybe the private sector doesn't always focus on. And then the two of those things together can be put together and hopefully bred into new and better varieties down the road so we can uh, have those top yields and also produce the protein and the oil that the market demands. And so that's the one piece of the puzzle. Then the other piece of the puzzle is we have to continue to increase demand. Yeah. And so um, and we're working in those areas internationally, but domestically and the biofuel sector, again, is that continues to grow more demand for the oil side. We're going to crush more beans. Um, still have plenty of beans to export, though. You know, everybody says, mm-hmm. well, let's get to a point where we want to export beans. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think when you see soybean yield growth, you know, is roughly, what, a half a bushel to a bushel uh, annually, uh, you know, we'll have additional uh, soybean production as we continue to put together the best research and best genetics. Um, we'll, you know, provided, you know, you have cooperative weather of mm-hmm. course but if, if that happens then we'll we'll crush more but we'll then still have a lot of extra to, to export as whole beans so it's a combination of all those things to keep soybeans competitive in the rotation we really need to from an agronomic standpoint you know on our farm we grow some corn on corn as well but mm-hmm. uh you know there's kind of a point where you you feel like you're at a limit and then you run into a year like this when where we are super hot and dry, especially in the middle of the summer. And you can tell a difference on first year corn versus yeah. second, third year corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really, And if we're going to have more climate variability of these extremely hot and dry spells sometimes, um, the rotated uh, crops tend to fare a little bit better in those extreme climate situations. And, you know, we had really... We're quite pleased, actually, with our soybean yields this year. You know, they're down a little bit from last year, but last year we had a record yield. Yeah, so, so, but still, with the weather we had, the soybean yields were great. Mm-hmm. Corn yields, we've had some good corn yields out there so far, but the variability in corn yields is just all over the place. And, and there's a lot more challenges there. So, yeah, I mean, in the end, uh, we have to have both. They have mm-hmm. to be 
rotated together in a lot of cases. There's always exceptions in your area and region where you grow, your soils and uh, your markets uh, locally uh, will, will dictate that maybe flux of, of one way or the other a little bit. Um, but, you know, we've, we've done research and done some studies. When you look at global urbanization is increasing by 80 million people annually, many of whom are transitioning from growing food to buying food around the world. Um, we expect that trend to continue for the next 30 years. And so we will need to add about eight to, eight to nine million tons of soy just to meet that demand for protein from those who are urbanizing. Because when they're urbanizing, they're increasing the protein consumption of their diet. Mm -hmm. That means more livestock and you need a lot of soybean meal to, mm -hmm. to, 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 raise to feed those. Yeah. And really there's nothing else that you can substitute very easily you can a little bit, but not to the extreme on soybean meal. You need to have a, a, a lot of that. On the grain and the starch side of the feed ration, there are substitution mm -hmm. options a little bit more flexible there. So we do think that long-term, by 2040, it's, it's projected that we will grow more soybeans in the U.S. than corn. Gotcha. We'll see. But yeah. uh, that's one of the projections out there. So, But uh, we've got to do it by being competitive yield-wise. Uh, the protein oil content has to be good, and then we have to continue to develop and grow these markets. Gotcha. All right. Well, the last topic is sure not a light one, <laughs> but I want to make sure that we hit on it um, as, you know, farmers are certainly anxious about kind of the geopolitical tensions that, you know, we're kind of starting to really, really hone in and hear about as we think about China and Taiwan, um, as well as, of course, um, you know, seeing China's president reelected this week here. Um, so I know that you are not um, in politics by any means, right? But you work with soy on, you know, thinking about new export markets and things like that. So with all the uncertainty, you know, what are we doing? What is Iowa Soybean doing to continue to strengthen our relationship, especially with agriculture as we think about China? Yeah. So again, on the demand side, we export over 60% right now of the U.S. soybean production on average gets exported each year in the form of whole beans, soybean meal, or soybean oil. So the Export market is critically important for us. And another organization I did not mention earlier that we do work with that is basically the face and the and the uh, and the and the coordinator of our U.S. export program is called the U.S. Soybean Export Council (USEC), and they um, have offices and consultants working uh, in over eighty countries around the world to represent the U.S. soy industry. Uh, to grow our market opportunities, to grow customer preference for U.S. soybeans, and in general, just grow demand mm -hmm. for more soybean usage in these countries, work with the governments and the trade officials and the feed industry and the livestock sectors around the world in these various countries. And so they, we fund that work. Uh, the Iowa Soybean Association does as well as our other state soybean association and promotion board counterparts and the United Soybean Board. American Soybean Association, and then we leverage that with some dollars from uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture that's uh, appropriated and allocated for trade promotion uh, and export work okay. um, called uh, through the Foreign, uh, Foreign Agriculture Service, a division of USDA, and the programs are called the Foreign Market Development and the Market Access Programs. And you leverage all those dollars together to grow and to represent and, and work with the, the export industry and the growers and the buyers and users around the world. So we continue to do that. Um, and China, of course, is the biggest market. And we've had an office as a soy industry in China since early 1980s when they're still a net exporter of soybeans. So there's the vision of the soy industry and the farmers of that era to see 
the growth potential in China. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's made a big difference in how we've seen them now turn into the, by far the largest importer of soybeans. Yeah. They, they grow 60 or they purchase 60% of the world's globally uh, exportable, export available soybeans. They purchase 60% of the exportable available soybeans in the world. So they're the big market, no doubt about it. We also diversify, though, in other markets, and we've been doing that ever since even the trade war mm-hmm. a few years ago. Uh, we had a What It Takes initiative to try to redouble our efforts in other markets to diversify our markets further. Now, unfortunately, you can't completely diversify away from yeah. 1.4 billion, <laughs> 1.4 billion people that have income and have a love for eating pork. Mm-hmm. And that's why China is such a big market. And makes them different than in India, for instance. They have the population. They don't necessarily have as strong of an economy, and they don't have that cultural history of eating as much meat. But over time, they're going to eat more poultry and be a little more westernized. So we think they'll grow too. But, you know, China just, that's what makes them so big. But, you know, we're always concerned a little bit about some of the geopolitical challenges that are going on between the various countries. And, and, um, you know, we always work with the industry over there really well. The, the federal government issues between the two countries and the military things that are going on, that's, those are always challenges and outside of our control. And you just have to be ready for it if it happens. Uh, we hope that the status quo, in a sense, can continue for a yeah. while where China, the U.S., and Taiwan can just sort of stay as it is right now Mm -hmm. Um, but if there's ever any major issue there then you know who knows what would happen for a while now the thing about it is that the u.s and china no matter people that want to try to diversify away from it or want to say you know there's no connection there we are very intertwined economically Mm -hmm. with them as they are with us so um in order to avoid unrest, and that's one thing that a one-party rule system doesn't like to see is, is political unrest, they need to keep their people fed yeah. and happy. And so if you had a major conflict, that would disrupt, I'm sure, mm-hmm. and just escalate food prices, just like we've seen with Ukraine and the Russia situation. Yeah. Um, and so I think they've, I think that they're very deliberate and interesting culture where I think they're sitting back, their political leadership's probably seen how that hasn't really gone really well for Russia, yeah, you know, no over, overall. So I think maybe that'll make them be a little more prudent in their viewpoints on, on what to do. So we're hopeful that, you know, the two countries can figure out a way to, you know, at least economically, economically still work together. And, and that should be a good thing for our long-term trade because they need us. They can't feed their own people. Mm-hmm. China has 9% of the world's, arable, croppable land, but they have 21% of the world's population. Mm -hmm. The math doesn't work for them, no matter how much they want to diversify. And they are trying to diversify in South America and other places, but even South America can't completely supply them. So they they need the U.S. and they need EU and Canada and Australia and some of the other Western countries to still supply some of their needs. So we'll see what happens, but uh, that's that's always a concern. But we've got markets like China on the whole soybean side, but Mexico's a our next door neighbor's mm-hmm. really important market. The EU is a big market as a block uh, for whole soybeans. Egypt is a growing market. Aquaculture is a driver and poultry is a driver there in, in Egypt. Pakistan is – some of these countries do have a uh, – they, they prefer U.S. soybeans. They like the quality and consistency of it. So those are markets that are important. Soybean meal market-wise, uh, we have – the Philippines is a great market. They have a great uh, – 
customer preference for U.S. soybean meal. They'll pay a premium for it even. Um, and so Colombia, Mexico, um, uh, Ecuador, and some of our other uh, Southeast Asia and, and Central America countries are other big important um, meal export markets. So those are the areas we got to continue to diversify in and work as well. Awesome. Well, I feel like we've covered quite a bit of ground here, um, whether it's from, you know, our original topic of soy crush plants all the way to kind of the sticky topic of exports in China versus Taiwan, that situation that's happening right now. But Grant, before we go ahead and wrap up, is there anything else you want our customers, our producers to know, um, whether it be about Iowa soybean or, you know, really as your role for trains? Well, I just encourage farmers to get involved with the Iowa Soybean Association. We have a lot of different programs that we work with farmers on. Uh, we have our on-farm research program where we work together with farmers to develop uh, research trials, strip trials. Maybe it's on cover crops or it's on a new product or maybe a new uh, equipment technique or things. And we can help provide the scientific structure to put those programs together, collect it, aggregate it anonymously into a database of information. We got statisticians on staff that, that put all this information together and, and a research team and a conservation team. So get involved in those areas if that's of interest to you. Um, get involved when there's opportunities to represent your industry, uh, whether it's meeting with foreign buyers or or on, on trade things. Utilize, ask for biodiesel from your renewable fuel or from your fuel supplier. If they don't currently offer it, ask for it. Um, and, uh, and we have great tax credits in the state of Iowa that makes biodiesel less expensive even. So if, whether it's a start with a 5% blend, go up to the 11% blend level or 20% blend, all those work really well. We do it on our farm and, and uh, have had great success. And, you know, people, especially as you increase your blend levels, it that black smoke turns a little more white, a little cleaner, and smells a little more like french fries or popcorn than it does <laughs> diesel fuel, which is kind of nice as well. And you're utilizing a product that you grow yeah. and diversifying the market. So those areas are, are important to get involved with. And then on the carbon side, we have a, an initiative called the Soil and Water Outcomes Fund, where we work with the private sector to, to pool resources if they want to have farmers uh, do different carbon practices, carbon reduction practices on their farm, we can help provide resources and pay farmers uh, through what the private industry is willing to provide um, and, and give them opportunities to, to get additional income on contracts through the Soil and Water Outcomes Fund. So anyway, just if you have an interest, uh, reach out to the Iowa Soybean Association. We'd be happy to work with you. And we're anything that we can do, we, we want to grow this industry so we can pass it along to the next generation. 100%. Well, thank you to our listeners for joining us today, and thank you, Grant, for coming in to talk to us uh, today and share all of your knowledge on, you know, not just soybeans in the markets, but I just feel like you provided, one, a really great industry standpoint, but I always love how you can relate it back to your farm. Um, that's, I think, really important today as we're talking to probably most of our producers. So thanks for coming and scheduling this in with us. Thank you. Happy to do that. Now, maybe this afternoon, I'll head out and we'll get back on the combine. Good. I <laughs> well, hope thanks. we get to. Yeah. <laughs>